Well, just uh, take our seats. I want to just introduce a couple who are going to come and share with us now. And uh, I want, we're just going to just get an interview with them. But uh, I want to just welcome up Graham and Jess Hodder. And Graham and Jess have been with us many years. What you wouldn't realize is he's had almost, they've had almost three careers. First career was working in the business uh, area here locally. And, uh, and while he was doing that, they were serving, first of all, Assemblies of God Church. And they served here and running our kids' church for a season. Then they had another season of their lives where they went to China and they uh, ran an orphanage, gathered up Chinese children who were in trouble and uh, cared for them and become spiritual parents for them. The family home is amazing. And then they came back, well, now they've got there doing something else. And I think it's a great inspiration that no matter what you have happening in your life, no matter what stage of your life you're at, there's always something you can put your hand to. We're going to find a little bit of what they're doing now. Let's give them a great welcome as they come up now. God bless, there we are. And we need another microphone. There we go. Fantastic. Wonderful. Go give him a great clap. <laughs> there we got one. They've got a microphone now. I got this one on. That's right. Praise the Lord. Just keep it there. Okay, please be seated. And uh, this is very difficult for Grandma Jess. They're private people and they don't like to be up the front. So what happened just then probably is the worst nightmare they could have had happen, but... <laughs> It's very right that we honour people, and, uh, and uh, particularly when uh, there's things to honour in someone's life. And uh, today's not so much about honouring them, though, but I think it was appropriate to do that because I don't know any couple that have actually uh, consistently, over such a long course of time, have just committed to the work of the Lord. Firstly, in the children's church, then the orphanage. Now, we're going to hear about what they're doing, would you believe it, on the street evangelism in our city. And uh, we're going to find out a little bit about what they've been doing. They've not been doing it out in the front. You don't see this happening. And there's a lot of things you don't see happening. But they're going to tell us a little bit today. So, Graham and Jess, thank you for coming up. I know you didn't want to do this, but I want to just thank you for coming and just sit on it. We'll just chat like we're just here at home. You shut them all out and close the eyes. <laughs> so the first thing is, I want you, I'd like you to tell us a little bit about what you've been doing out on the streets of our city. Well, I guess uh, I had to ask myself... Why are we on the city streets? You know, what are we doing on the city streets? And why have we got a passion now to do this that we didn't have before? Because up until a couple of years ago, this wasn't our scene at all. But we st I think what it caused us to do this was our time in China where we could see that Christian people were so subdued, it was illegal to become Christians, it was illegal to convert people, and uh, there was no such thing as being able to get out into the streets and share uh, with people on the streets. When we came home, uh, after 12, we were in China for 12 years, just under 12 years, and uh, when we came back, we could see that instead of being a closed door as there was in China, there was a door in New Zealand wide open, and as we read the Word of God, which we love the Bible, we love reading the Word of God, um, the Great Commission that Jesus gave stood out very, very strongly, that for everyone who believes in him should go out and preach the gospel to every creature. This doesn't mean to say that we've all got to be full-time evangelists, but we could at least give it one or two hours a week to reach out to people. And so we thought about this, and one Saturday night, 
I said to Jess, Jess, we've got to get out. We've got to get out onto the street. And we had uh, in the ISOM, the um, International School Bible School of School of Missions, that's right. Um, there was one of the sessions there by the Way of the Master uh, group, and they were talking about getting out onto the street. And this inspired us. And they, uh, so this particular night, we went out uh, shivering. It was cold, and um, we started speaking to someone. And on that night, we spoke to about four or five young kids in the parking lot. And so what goes on in the street? What happens? What we want to do is to, and what we do do, is to share the love of God and the love of Christ. And it's the love of God that constrains us, that forces us to go and to share that love with other people. We actually go out, out onto the streets to take the gospel and the love of God to as many people as we can. And we've got an unlimited opportunity out there. What, what parts of the city have you been going out? How often? Oh, right. Initially, we started just going out on a Saturday night. Uh, we felt that that was plenty enough for us. And we went uh, continuously. Sorry, Millie. Oh, thanks, Len. Yeah. Uh, we went. Oh yes, we went continuously every Saturday night, uh, and then we thought this is not enough. So we went also on Sunday night, <coughs> and then we felt after about a year and a half that this was not enough. So we would be going to town anyway on a Thursday night because that's our date night. We always go out and have a, a meal together, and we thought, well, we're in town. We'll go out and we'll just keep on going out into the street and share. So we we go out three nights a week now. Onto the, onto the street um, to share with people. Most times there's more people than what we could actually speak to, uh, speak to on one night each. And mm. We were just felt really for the ones that we couldn't actually speak to because there just wasn't enough of us. Yeah. So that's been a real challenge. Yeah. Yeah. How have you gone about preparing to go out to do this? What have you done? Well, I think it's a matter of if you sense that God has given you a call to do something, you'll pour your heart and soul into it, whatever it might be. And with this, the strength has come on greater and greater. Um, there is an anointing on our lives, we know that, because we are never so happy as when we're down on the street talking to people. We've got one joy We've got one love and we've got one passion and that is to live our lives for the Lord Jesus Christ daily to walk with him and to share with as many as we can about his love and this is fulfilled as we go out onto the streets. How do you go about approaching people? What, what do you do when you're out there once you're out on the streets and part of the city? I think this is one of the things that um, most put most people off from wanting even to think to go out to evangelize or to share the gospel. Uh, the reason being that to approach somebody is very scary. Like someone walking along the street, their mind is not, probably not even thinking of anything like God, and yet somehow you've got to, within the space of a few seconds, initiate a conversation. How do you do it? Well, on this program in the ISOM course that we had, 
they had a, uh, a little million-dollar note. You probably, many of you probably have seen it. Uh, it's a million-dollar New Zealand note, which, of course, it's a genuine fake. And, uh, and, uh, you know, we, and so, and on the back, there is some information which I'll read out. But basically how we do it, it is very, very simple. And within the space of five to ten seconds, uh, you can establish a conversation on spiritual things unoffensively. I mean, that is very important. We don't like to get into people's face and just sort of get right in front of them. That's not the way we operate. Basically, what we do is, as we're walking along, someone will come walking towards us, and Jess might say, if it's a lady, uh, Jess might say, oh, good evening, ma'am. Did you get one of these? And, of course, most of the time they haven't. And they, they take it off us, and they say, well, what is it? We say, well, it's a million-dollar note. But it's a little Christian pamphlet, because on the back, there's a million-dollar question. Hence, it's called a million-dollar note. And the question is, when you die, where do you think you're going to go? To heaven or to hell? And there's about a two-second silence when they're trying to digest that. <laughs> and then suddenly you see their faces, and you can tell which way the conversation is going to go by the way they reply. Some people say, well, I don't believe that a loving God is going to send people to hell. And we say, well, of course he wouldn't, but it's people who send themselves to hell. But other people will say, well, how can we know? Other people say, well, I'm not even interested, and they just give it back to us and walk off. They're gone. Okay, fair enough. We just say, oh, God bless you. Have a nice evening. Um, but, and then... It enters straight away. If, it's, if people say, well, I'd like to know, one of our questions is, well, what do you think of Jesus? And on one occasion, we said this to a gentleman who was with his children. He'd been playing with him and his wife and so on. And we, he came over and sat at the same table as us. And uh, straight away he said, I think Jesus is the most wonderful person that ever lived. And I said, do you believe in him? Are you a Christian? He said, no, I'm not. So we were able to share what it was to be a Christian by having our faith in Jesus. And um, you tell the lady, tell about that young Catholic lady, girl, I should say, on the corner there. Uh, down by the uh, canteen uh, noodle restaurant, there was a young Catholic lady. And um, we, we engaged with her and talking to her, and then we realised she was a Catholic. So we just said to her, well, have you got a personal relationship, a personal uh, faith in, in Christ? And she said, she didn't know. So we explained to her how to have a relationship with Jesus, and she said, I've never heard it put like this before. And that young lady wanted to open her life to Christ. Mm. Wonderful. Yeah. We had, uh, there were a couple of young um, Young men, contractors by the railway line. This was about eight o'clock or half past eight this particular night. Uh, and uh, they were both, one was in crutches and the other had a broken arm. And we sort of went and spoke to them and they said, we both had separate accidents. They are contractors out on the, um, out on the farms. They were from Chile. So straight away we had a fair idea. They were probably uh, of the Catholic faith. However, we didn't say anything. But anyway, they said, look, we had a, um, we both had separate accidents. And, uh, and then so I said, well, look, did you get one of these? And they both took one, and uh, uh, we went through the, uh, the million-dollar question, and, uh, and 
they turned it over and they said, well, yeah, that's very interesting. And one of them said, well, I must admit, when my car rolled, I started thinking about God. And I said, are you both Catholics? And they said, yes, we are. And, uh, and then I said, well, have you got a personal faith in Jesus? And they sort of looked at each other, not quite sure what I was meaning. And um, they sort of said, well, I can't remember the precise words, but what do you mean? And so we explained what it is to have a personal faith in Jesus Christ. And one of the men said, he said, I want that. He said, I want that. And we went on a little bit further to, uh, to go further, deeper, just slightly more into it, so that they fully understood what it was to, to uh, repent of their sins uh, and to receive God's forgiveness and receive Christ by faith into their hearts. And I said, do you want to do that? And they both said, yes, we do. And uh, when do you want to do it? We'd like to do it now. And so those two young men, we don't actually lead people in the sinner's prayer. Um, over the two and a half years we've been doing this, um, over 40 people have opened their lives to Christ. Uh, we don't count anymore now, but um, <coughs> we said to them, I want you to pray your own prayer. We don't, as I say, we don't lead the sinner's prayer. And so these two young men just simply said, Lord Jesus, we want you to come into our lives and be our saviour. And uh, that night, those two young men were born again. Unfortunately, they lived out on the farm, about 20 kilometres out of town. But the following morning, we posted them uh, a, a Gospel of John each. We got their um, postal address and gave them a Gospel of John. We feel the importance of sharing Christ to these people. Christ, Jesus is the one they need to know. That's how we feel about this. And so on the streets, we uplift him uh, to the greatest of our ability. Very good. So what, what, would, what encouragement would you give people who perhaps like you were many years ago would never have considered doing anything like that? Mm. What, what encouragement would you give people? Mm. I would say I know that in a church of our size, three to 400 people, I know that there are a number of you, probably quite a large number, who really want to do this. You've got a, it on your heart that you want to go out and you want to share your faith with people. I know how you feel because this is how we felt. Mm. We didn't quite know what to do. But we've got a group started now and we've got a team of eight people who come down on the street with us. And uh, we've all learnt. We all start just at the beginning and learn how to do this. I would say this, that if you're interested, we'll be down the back later after the service. Come and see us because we have, on a Saturday night, which is our um, group night as a uh, dare to share, as we call it, uh, dare to share group, we meet on the Saturday night at 6 o'clock. We have a DVD on uh, one aspect of uh, sharing on the streets uh, by this way of the master people. Excellent, excellent stuff. And it helps you to overcome uh, things that you may not have thought of. And then we have a time to pray. And then we go down on the street by seven. We get back by about quarter past to half past eight. And then we gather together and we talk together uh, to, about the different ones that we've spoken to. If anyone has come and opened their lives to the Lord. And then we pray for them. And then we pray for one another. So you'll be in a very uh, protective um, situation if you would like to come and join with us uh, come down and see us and we can tell you a wee bit more about it but 
Uh, I know that there are many people who have been thinking they want to do this. So my advice is don't put it off. There are thousands perishing, even in Hastings. Hastings has got a population of 71,000. Statistics say that 3% go to church. That's 2,000, leaves 69,000. Allowing about 50,000 for little children and people who are unaccountable, about 15,000. That leaves about 55,000 people who don't go to church and they're on their way to hell unless we tell them. And God has placed us here. We've, we are here. And the job that he has for us is to, is to go out and share the gospel with people. I sometimes think that we are too easy. I think that we are uh, running with the world too much. We've got our own amusement. Sometimes we'd rather stay at home and watch television than get out and be a bit uncomfortable for a while to go out onto the street. Some people say to us, what about when it's cold and in the winter, you know, if it's wet? And I say, yes, of course we go out in the winter. And I say, do you uh, stop going to work just because there's a few drops of rain? <laughs> or, if you, or if you're going to go out to the movies or meet someone to have a, uh, have a meal at Breakers, do you call it off just because there's a bit of a cold wind? Of course you don't. So why shouldn't we keep going for Jesus, uh, even if it's cold? Oh, yes. Yes. Um, okay, so if we don't go, who will? If you and I don't get out to share, because here we are, we're so happy, we sing, shout it out, uh, tell, let the whole world know, you know, be that city of light. But we go out the door unchanged, but we can change. And we're all the same. I was the same too. But, uh, yes, the Jehovah's Witnesses. Now, if we don't go, who will? I tell you who will. The Jehovah's Witnesses will go, the Mormons will go, and the Muslims will go. I was talking to a Jehovah's Witness gentleman the other night, and I knew that he was Jehovah's Witness the way he chatted, and we talked about some of our differences. And then I said to him the same thing. I said, um, can I ask you a question? He said, yeah, of course. And I said, what does Jesus mean to you? And he stopped and he, and then he said, well, I go out every week and I do. I said, no, I didn't ask you that. I said, what does Jesus mean to you? And he didn't really have an answer. I said, well, what are you relying on when you stand before God? He said, well, I've done quite a lot for, for Jesus like that. And I said, well, I was actually hoping, hoping you'd say that you're trusting in the blood of Jesus for your redemption. But anyway, then I said to him, how many of your people go out onto the street every week? He said, well, if a person becomes a Jehovah's Witness, they understand that they've got to go out onto the streets. He said, we have two churches in Hastings, one in Hastings East, one in Hastings West, and both churches send out one team every day. He said, we have 14 teams going out every week. Each team has about four to five people. That's about 60 to 70 people they send out every week. I felt quite ashamed. I met a Mormon lady last night with whom I spoke and I asked the same question to her. And she said, well, in Hastings and Flaxmere, we've got about 20 of these young missionaries from, who do their two-year training uh, as missionaries with their little badges on, elder so-and-so and sister so-and-so. She said, we've got 20 of them. And I said, do they have to go out every day? She said, yes, they do. They go out every day. They are required to do that. Also, Islam is growing in its presence on the streets, more, um, um, Muslims. And we've met a... Got lots of young people, lots of Maori young people are turning to Islam. <coughs> yeah, yeah. Mm. 
And um, so if we don't go, folks, there are other people who will. So my word is don't put it off any longer. Come and see us. Come, and, come out and give it a try. If you, if you can't come out on a Saturday night, I'll come out on a Monday night with you. I'll take you down and we can have a go and I'll show you how to do it. But our heart is that our church should rise up. We very can good. do a lot better than we're doing. Yeah, we are, we, we've got to get serious on this matter of the Great Commission. Jesus said uh, in Acts 1.8, he said, you'll be filled with uh, power after you're filled with the Holy Ghost and you'll be my witnesses. Mm. A witness is someone who provides evidence. That word witness also comes from the same word martyr. So to be a witness for Jesus, it means that we're willing to put our life on the line to go out and provide evidence for Jesus in our own town. So, folks, we just hope and pray that uh, as time goes on, more and more people will uh, come out onto the streets to get right onto the coalface. You'll get your hands dirty, people will hug you, who you sort of don't want to hug, and, but they will listen. And oftentimes, it's always sowing the seed. It's always sowing the seed. And that's, the rest is God's responsibility. For the ones who come to and open their life to the Lord, there's, uh, some of them have come to the church, but they haven't stayed. Uh, young, a young couple we met under the clock one Saturday night it was time to go home and we saw this young cuddle, couple cuddling up on the seat and I think it was about quarter past eight, I can't remember the time but it was a bit cold and they were shivering I said come on let's come and have a chat to this young couple young Indian couple and um, Bhuvnesh the husband, he's right here at the moment now and so we shared the good news about Christ and uh, Bhuvnesh is Hindu and his wife Jess is Sikh. And over the months we got to know them and we wanted to extend our friendship to this young couple. And now they live with us in our little sleep out and uh, we have a Bible study every week. We've gone right through the Gospel of John chapter by chapter. We've gone through the, um, uh, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6 and 7. And right now we're going through First John, the letter to First John. And our aim is to tell them about Jesus and about what Jesus expects of us, his commands, because he said, go into all the world and preach the gospel, baptizing them and teaching them those things that I have commanded you. And so this is what we have done. And um, it's wonderful just to see how they've learned to appreciate the Lord and how that they're taking it a step at a time. There's no pressure they're just taking it a step at a time, but we know that the Lord is, is showing them and dealing with them. Very good. So. Anything else you'd like to say? Okay. Why don't we just close our eyes for a moment? I'd just like to ask you this question. What is God saying to you right now that you've listened to this? God's spoken to you in your heart. Why don't you just meet Grandma Jess afterwards and just say, Can, I'd love to become a part of it or at least to give it a try or come along. I, I felt stirred in my heart today. Father, we just pray for a fire of evangelism to ignite the hearts of every believer in this church to reach the lost for you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you, Grandma Jess. It's been fantastic. Absolutely wonderful. Just, thank you.
Thanks very much. Do you enjoy that? Let's give them a great clap, shall we? <clears throat> Wonderful. Wonderful. Why don't we just hold hands? Let's begin to pray for our city. As you pray for our city, let's stand together. Let's begin to think of people that you know that don't know Jesus Christ. You're here today and you're from another church, another place. That's fine. Why don't you begin to think of people that don't know Jesus. Let's begin to hold them in our heart, name them before God. Let's begin to pray for them together right now. Thank you, Lord. Let your voice rise up to heaven. Father in heaven, we come before you right now. Father, we ask for your grace to come upon people that we know and love. Father, we pray for opportunities to share with them. Father, we pray the things that hold them back, the things that blind their eyes, the things that cover them. Lord, that they would break from their eyes, that they would see and respond to the gospel. Father, we pray for a change, a shift in our hearts, our lives, towards sharing you, sharing your life with others. Lord, we look for the power of your Spirit to flow mightily. We lift our city before you, asking God that you would touch people, asking for your presence and power to flow and bring people into living relationship with Christ. Great salvations, lives changed, people touched. Lord, we need your help. We cry out for your grace. Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Praise the Lord. Give someone a hug or a high five before you sit down. Praise the Lord. Well, you know, I enjoyed that. That was really stirring. Well, let me felt stirred by that. Is that good? Yeah, it's great. And uh, it just, um, I'm just going to adapt what I was going to speak on and just uh, abbreviate it noticeably. And uh, so I want you just to open up your Bible. If you have a look with me in Luke chapter 7. What I wanted to, well, last week I was speaking on the, the gift of tongues and speaking in tongues and how speaking in tongues energizes your spirit. And the purpose, as Graham pointed out, is to empower you to become a witness. So your life is to be a witness. Uh, the way we live our life, the kind of attitudes we have. We heard about gratitude this morning, and I see a lot of people complain. This is not being filled with the Spirit. Complaining quenches your spirit. In fact, David said, when I complain, my spirit was overwhelmed. So to stay full of the Holy Spirit, we do need to learn to be grateful, have a grateful heart, have a thankful heart, and rejoice in the blessings God's given us. We need to learn to do those kind of things. So that's part of being filled with the Spirit. And uh, we saw that when you pray in tongues, when you speak in this language that God gives you, it energizes your spirit, but it also connects you to the Holy Spirit. It opens a line of communication, and you begin to start to get insight from the Spirit of God. All of us, God wants to speak with us, he wants to speak with you. This is not for just someone special. This is for every believer. Every believer can hear the voice of God. Every person can hear from God. The trouble is often we're too busy and there's too many other voices we're listening to. We listen to all kinds of voices around us. But we can train ourselves to tune in to God speaking to us. It's not hard to train in to God speaking to you. So one of the first aspects of it is to learn to stir your spirit up so you remain energized and alive on the inside. It's great when we pray in tongues that the Holy Spirit is giving us the language, our spirit is rising up, there's an energy and a life flow that's coming, and we begin to come alive on the inside. But this flow that comes from within is the same flow when God wants to speak to you. And uh, I find that uh, continually people 
kind of put it off as in the too hard basket rather than actually saying, I want to give myself to actually learning how to engage with God, how to be able to see and hear Him and flow with Him. And we can actually train our senses. You have spiritual senses. Paul talks about in Ephesians 1.18, he says that the eyes of your understanding would be opened. In other words, that the eyes of your heart. So he's saying you just don't have physical eyes, you have literally a capacity to see spiritually. But what are you going to see and how are you going to see? We need to train ourselves in that area. And there's a whole number of things we can do. One of the most important parts to developing your capacity to see and to connect with God is to harness your imagination. Now, every one of us has an imagination. Whether you use it or not, you use it well or not, everyone's using it somehow. You're using it well or you're using it badly, but you all have an imagination. Imagination is your capacity to form pictures or images inside you. You just do it and don't think about it. But think about this. You can, in your imagination, you can close your eyes and just a moment you can begin to start to see pictures. I don't know where they are, but they're in your imagination. There's a part of you clearly that enables you to see pictures. And that part of you is connected to your spirit because the Bible talks about the imaginations of the heart. So your imagination, your capacity to create pictures inside you, images inside you, that's a gift God has given you. It's connected to your spirit, so therefore it's a part of your spiritual capacity. And your imagination can be used in all kinds of ways. Like you can, take, you can close your eyes and begin to think of a happy experience you had in the past. And before long, it's like all your attention is focused, you've forgotten what you're doing, and in your imagination you're back there and you're very happy out in that boat catching snapper. And, and there's great feelings start to flow inside you. And you can start to remember that tugging. And, and there it is. And it was all in your imagination. You just went there. And for a moment, you forget about everything around you. And you're there as though you were there, back there, really. You see, you can feel that kind of experience happening inside you. And, uh, and, and it brings great pleasure. There's other things you don't want to remember because to go back and to picture them may be very painful. There may be traumatic images. But if you haven't restored or healed your soul, haven't let Jesus to do that, those images are still in there. And a lot of people don't want to stop and have a think too long because some of those images come back up. So we have to be able to deal with that if we're going to cleanse this part of us for opening our mind to God. Uh, we can imagine the present. Most of us, when we imagine the present, you begin to think about something, and then before long you're thinking about what could happen in that, and you start to get very anxious. So maybe you stop for a moment, and the moment you start to pray, immediately your mind goes, you're thinking about your work situation, how difficult it is, or a relationship problem, and you begin to think about it. And before you know it, you're away there in your imagination holding a conversation with someone. And you've gone. You've gone from where we are, and you're in your imagination. You're actually out in a place, and, and thinking about things you're facing or are around you can lead to a tremendous anxiety. A lot of people who struggle with anxiety and have panic attacks, they're allowing their imagination to run away and to picture a very negative future. So your imagination has a huge impact on you. It affects your brain. It affects your body. You begin to imagine, for example, you begin to think of a food that you really like. And just as you close your eyes, you begin to think of that food and see yourself sitting down to begin to, there it is, it's right there, oh my, oh look at that, those hokey pokey ice cream and strawberries, I'm getting hungry already. And you can just for a moment just go away and it's almost like your connection to what's around you and the people around you diminishes and your awareness of what's in your imagination can increase. 
So your imagination is very, very important. God, over the, in, the, in the area of the Bible, speaks consistently. For example, with Abraham, when he wanted to birth faith in Abraham's heart, he said, Abraham, every day when you go out, look up at the stars. That's how many children you're going to have. I know your circumstances are very bad right now, and I know your wife's getting really old, and I know you are too, and there's not much happening between you. But however, look up at those stars because I want you to get something in your imagination. Lots of kids. And then in the daytime, he'd say, I want you to look at the sand. There's a lot of sand around. So he stirred his imagination to picture his future. So we can imagine our future. You can make a plan and imagine your future. So you may plan a holiday. You get the brochure and you sit there. I'm sitting on the beach in Fiji in that warm one. Oh, my. And it's almost for a little bit, you just away you go into that. Or you may have a project. And so you're trying to do something and you stop and you begin to think about that project. And you're working it all out and it's being designed in your head. So you notice that the things that you imagine are actually the things that for the most part turn up in your life. So you think about it, you build a house, uh, you imagine the house first. You, you think you, you're going to repair a, a room in the house or renovate a room in the house, you always imagine it before you do it. Before the world came into being, God imagined it, saw it in a picture form and then called it and made it happen. So what we see, whether it's been made by someone or whether it's actually created by God, all of it started in imagination. So your imagination connects the physical world with the realm of the spirit. What is unseen can come into the physical world through the doorway of your imagination. That's why imagination is very important. And I want to show you just a couple of simple things you can do to harness your imagination and then a discipline you can develop in your life that will help you in your engaging with God at a personal level. I'm going to show it's quite simple, and I'll just use the scripture to help you do it. And uh, very, very, very simply. So our imagination is incredibly important. Think about this. Uh, if you, Jesus said in, uh, in Matthew chapter 5, he said, if a man looks on a woman to lust after her, then he has already committed adultery in his heart. So during the period where he's uh, lusting, he's in his imagination. So maybe it's in pornography, or maybe it's in some fantasy, and the way the mind goes, there's this fantasy. And in the fantasy, he's now his heart is flowing towards this evil picture, or picture of evil, and, his heart, and the Bible says the sin has already happened. So in the heart, the heart is now stained. So when the fantasy is over, and the person comes out of the fantasy, their life is now stained with adultery. So they now bring into their physical relationships what has been in the fantasy realm of the heart. Think about that. Uh, woman, you would know, if you've ever seen a man looking at you, and he's mentally undressing you, or he's got bad things in his mind going on, you can feel it. It's, you can feel it, it's that bad. Where did it start? It started in the imagination. So clearly, what was in his imagination has now brought something into the world, into the relationship, which causes you to feel uncomfortable and aware something bad is in that person. And so your imagination is incredibly important because we design our future through our imagination. We create in our imagination. We are able to plan a different life with our imagination, or we can repeat the failures of the past. A lot of it has to do with what's going on in the imagination. So we need to harness our imagination. And in the Bible, it uses the word to describe this. It describes it, it's called meditation. In uh, Joshua 1, verse 8, it says, if you will meditate in the law of the Lord day and night, 
and it'll not depart out of your mouth and you observe to do it. Notice what it says, you will make your way prosperous and successful. So he's saying to Joshua, who's facing a huge challenge, he said, I know the challenge is big, I know there's giants and big walled cities, but what I want you to do is to meditate in the word of God, because as you do that and begin to speak your agreement about it and go over and over and over, what it's going to do, it will motivate you and form in you the faith to overcome. So right through the Bible, it talks about meditation as being an important key to prospering. In, uh, in uh, 1 Timothy 4, uh, I think verse 15 or something like that, Paul talks to Timothy, says, Timothy, I know we laid hands on you and prayed for you and imparted a gift to you, but Timothy, what you need to do is to actually do something. Don't just leave it be. Like, wasn't that a great meeting? I got a prophecy and they laid hands on me, blah, blah, blah. He said, don't do that. He said, now, I want you to meditate. I want you to use your imagination to picture yourself flowing as I have prophetically described over your life and constantly day after day see it and acknowledge it and expect it, it will start to change and you'll start to prosper. So he always talks about meditating and giving yourself to the thing you're meditating on. Meditate on sin, you'll give yourself to sin. Meditate on a plan for some project, you'll give yourself to that project. Meditate on a relationship developing, you'll give yourself to that relationship. So what you're meditating on, we all meditate. It's just a matter of deciding what we're going to meditate on. So one of the things is this, is if meditation, or if, if your imagination is a faculty that connects the spiritual world and the natural world, then that's where the Holy Ghost is going to talk to you. So when you're praying in tongues, the Holy Spirit is imparting into you, he's imparting into your language, and that comes up. You pray in tongues, and then you stop praying, you'll suddenly hear the language in your head. So there's a flow starts. Now, where God wants to communicate with, he wants to actually put pictures into your mind or speak into your mind, and it comes up through your spirit. So praying in tongues is a great way to stir your spirit, but you need to learn also to harness your mind. And my experience with, uh, in my own life and with the life of many Christians is they don't know how to focus their thought life. And so I want to just give you some simple keys that will help you. And then we'll just look at the passage and let's just see what God will do. It shouldn't take us long, but let's just open our mind to just take a scripture. So here's a few practical keys on what you can do to train your imagination. And it tells us to do this. In 2 Corinthians 4.18 it says, it says uh, now the things that are going on around us that are difficult and upsetting and challenging, it says all of these things are temporary. And they will work for us, they will work on our behalf, something that changes us, provided we do this. We look at things which are unseen, not at things which are seen. Because the things seen are temporary, the things unseen are eternal. And that's what he's saying. It's up to you to choose whether you focus your mind and your thoughts and your attention on the realities of that which is spiritual or whether you focus them on the realities which are in the physical world. It doesn't mean you ignore everything in the physical world. You have to cope with life and face life like it is. But what he's saying is there's something bigger than that that can change our physical reality. He's saying this. He's saying if you can see it, it's temporary. If you can see it and touch it, it's definitely temporary. Think about that. But he said, if it comes from the realm of eternity, the realm of heaven, the realm of God, then it's eternal, it's tangible, it lasts forever. So you notice that whatever you purchase or own, no matter how good it is, how expensive it is, how valuable it is, I can assure you, you will leave it all behind. 
It is definitely temporary. No matter how established you look right now, that's not going to be how you'll be at the end of your life. It's like we have to face that if you can see it and touch it, it's temporary and it's subject to change. It will change. But one of the things that's important is to get our eyes on the realm of the supernatural, the realm of the spiritual. So how are we going to do that? There's a few things you can do. Number one thing that can help you is fasting. Physical fasting on food can sharpen your sensitivity in your spirit. just sharpens you up. One of the things that if you're going to develop your capacity to see clearly and to begin to experience flows of God speaking, I encourage you to fast off visual media, fast off television, fast off internet, uh, except what's needed for work, fast off looking at stuff which could damage you or put images into your mind you can't get out. So for example, we're in a culture now where all of these TV, these video games and internet, all that kind of stuff there, literally floods the imagination. It bypasses all your thinking, just goes straight in there and saturates you. There's a reason for that, because we're living in an hour when there's going to be the greatest outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and there's a need for you to keep your imagination clean and clear. Otherwise, you can't flow with God and the things he has for you. You can't see his future for you. You just flooded. It's like it's dulled out. So I have found it's quite important to, at times, just go right off all media to stop the dulling out of the imagination and to allow the imagination to come back alive again. So fasting is kind of like cutting off some stuff. So you've got to do a bit of cutting off. That's one thing you can do. Second thing you can do with your imagination is to cleanse your imagination. Cleansing your imagination uh, is very important to actually stopping the invasion of unwelcome thoughts. Now, all of us have unwelcome thoughts. We've got to deal with it. Some of them are images of pictures of the past. You've got to face them and consciously address them. And I found that at times, when I pray at times, when I'm thinking, stuff will come that's unwelcome. So what I've learned to do is to speak into it, to actually be quite proactive. Don't say to it, I shouldn't think that. You put yourself under the law and have no power to change it because the law has no power. Just recognize if there's an unwelcome image coming into your imagination, it's a spiritual pressure coming on you to defile you and it needs a spiritual response. Isn't that quite simple? So a spiritual response is if it's an old picture and it's a haunting. Suppose you're a male and you've been involved in sexual relationships and so a picture of something comes back and it's in a previous experience, it just keeps coming back to you, you actually have to cut your attachment to it. So just instead of trying to say, I shouldn't think that, just look at that picture, in Jesus' name, I repent totally of that. I reject that picture. I cut off all attachments in my soul to it. Father, I just paint it over with the blood of Jesus Christ. And I curse the thought tree that allows it to stay established in my life. Because physically and chemically, If you keep repeating your thoughts, you form in your brain chemical thought trees. As simple as that. And that's why I think it's quite quite interesting that Jesus, when he was teaching about faith, that the illustration he used was he cursed a fig tree and said, don't bring forth fruit anymore. And the tree died or withered. Now, I, I was thinking the other day and wondering whether Jesus knew well ahead about the fact that scientifically in the 21st century we discover that the way your brain works is uh, that there's neuron thought trees and they just grow, and if they're bad thoughts, then they're toxic trees, and if they're good thoughts, they're quite healthy trees. Scientists can show that. So I learned that one of the things that was helpful to do was instead of trying to fight the thought, address the thought and confront it. 
Just confront it and speak. It's unwelcome. Hold the blood of Jesus Christ over it. If it's a persistent one, cut off any attachment that I may have had to it. And then to just curse the thought tree that gives it a place to sit. Found it quite effective to just, it's gone. Just gone like that. Then redirect your attention somewhere else. So the one aspect of our developing our capacity to see is cutting off the stuff we don't want to see. And fasting helps and cleansing your mind with the Word of God helps as well. Then the second thing then is to actually learn to focus your attention as you, as this is what, and these are two things you can do to help you develop. One of them is as you pray in tongues and your spirit is flowing, begin to focus your attention on some things you're praying about and consciously look at them. Now, so, so for example, say I'm praying, uh, for, uh, praying for my wife. Well, then I'd begin to picture my wife, lift her before the Lord, speaking things, Lord, I just lift joy before you right now. I thank you for her. And I just begin to pray for her. And as I pray in tongues for her, I begin to hold the picture of her in my imagination, looking to see if God wants to open up and show anything around her or around our marriage that I need to know about. And it'll come by way of a picture or impression. Just start to come in, you suddenly become aware of something. So as you pray, focusing your attention when you pray is quite important. Many people can't focus their attention very long. So there's something uh, that you can do to do that. So one is praying during the prayer time. Another is praying as you go to sleep. You just pray, Lord, I'm just going to set my mind on you, meditate on a scripture, meditate on him. And as you're going and drip, dropping off to sleep, say, thank you, Lord. You just, I open my inner man for you to speak to me through dreams tonight. That's one way of doing it. Here's another thing that you can put into practice, and that is meditating. I think of all the things that meditation, consciously meditating in the Word of God, is one of the most powerful ways to shift your inner man and to shift your inner life. It's spoken all over the Bible, and uh, meditation. Meditation is to consciously use your imagination to roll over, and repetition is the key. Repetition and impact. Those are the keys, and how, how strongly this thing impresses you. So let me just show you... How, how it would work or how I've done it. I've taken either a scripture passage with Jesus in it or Psalm 23 or some other passage that talks about God, talks about his works, talks about who he is and what he's like. And there's many scriptures talk about what he's like. And then just pray in tongues for a little while to get the flow going. And then I may pray quietly in tongues, very quietly in tongues. But while I'm doing that, I allow my imagination to begin to try to picture the details. And so what you could do then is just take a story from the Bible, like I did it this morning. I'll just take the story here, and I'll show what you could do. Now, in verse 11 through to 15 of, uh, of Luke chapter 7, it, it happened that he went to a city called Nain. And the word Nain, I looked it up, means pleasant, beautiful, a lovely, happy place. And he went there, and there's a whole lot of disciples there. So what I would do is this. I read the story through several times. I can tell you what's in the story. I know what's in the story. Jesus got a huge crowd. He's going from one place to another, and he happens to go through a town called Nain, and it means beautiful and fruitful. And as he comes there, he begins to see a huge crowd coming out of the city. He's going into the city, a crowd is coming out of the city, and it's not a happy crowd. It's a crowd of mourners. You know mourners because they're all wailing and sobbing and crying. There's a whole, this is a large crowd. So he's got a crowd coming this way. There's another crowd coming the other way. Jesus is about to connect with them just like that. And as they come there, he sees that they're carrying something. They're carrying a, 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 an open kind of coffin. They've got a, like a, a stretcher, and there's a young man all wrapped up. He's dead. And his mother, or obviously the mother is, she's dressed in, in black. She's right behind him. She's weeping. 
And around her, as everyone else is all weeping, there's a lot of weeping, a lot of wailing, and this woman, it's her only son, and she's a widow. So that means, you just, you just need to get the facts of the story, only son, a widow. So there it is. And so Jesus, and this is what it says, Jesus is moved with compassion. Now, I want you just to, so, and what did he do? Well, he did unthinkable. He touched a dead body. No one ever touched a dead body. He went over and he put his hand on the body, stopped the whole show, and his crowd and the other crowd stopped all with a standoff kind of thing. What is he going to do? And he spoke to the boy, he rose him, raised him from the dead, and then he brought him and presented him to his mother. So that's the story. You can read the story. You need to read the story two or three times. So you got the story inside you, and then when you got the story inside you, put your Bible down so you don't have to look at it, and now in your imagination, enter into the story. Now, you see, you have to understand the Word of God, the Bible says the Word of God is living. So most people that read the Bible, it's just words, they can't even remember what the words are. It's not, not, we're not approaching it right. You've got to approach it, Holy Ghost, you wrote these words, you wrote the story. I want to get in the story and find out what's there. I want you to speak to me and help me engage with Jesus. Because this story is a revelation of Jesus. So how do you do it? Well, you have to allow your imagination. So read the story. You're not a reader. Listen to it on a tape. Janice is not a good reader, but she listens to things over and over and over and over on a tape. Turning, she knows the story better than anyone. Just rep repetition gets the story. When you've got the story, and then as you begin to pray, now you can begin to start to put yourself in it. So what would you do? Well, you can position yourself anywhere in the story you like, and every time you do it, you can position yourself differently. You can position yourself alongside Jesus. You're walking with him as an observer, one of his disciples, to see what he's going to do and how he's going to respond. Or you can position yourself over here and you're alongside the woman and you're feeling the grief and the pain and seeing what's happening there. You can position yourself anywhere in the story you like and wherever you position yourself, you get a different view of it. You become aware of different things. You have to allow your imagination to take you into the story. You've got to start off by priming the pump, by getting the story in and then starting to begin to think about it and stay there, not get distracted by lunch. And it's as you stay there, you start off using your imagination to picture it. And what are you looking for? You're looking into the story to draw out every detail that you may not have seen before. So you're entering in with an inquiring mind like you're looking around the story. And as you look around the story, try to engage what you feel. What do I feel as I am watching this? And so if you know a few of the key things in the story, then they'll come to mind. So you begin to, there it is, you're with a huge crowd. Suppose we just take, close your eyes for a moment, so you're not looking at me, and just allow yourself to just, for a few minutes, it'll, we'll do this, it'll take about four to, four to five minutes, it'll help you. So Holy Ghost, lead us into the story to engage with Jesus. So what I do is just begin to quietly pray in tongues and begin to see the story. Here we're in the story now, and it's a great crowd of people. Huge crowd of Jesus followers. Some of them are committed people. Some of them are the apostles that are with them. And some of them are just a rabbly crowd. They just come along to see what will happen. They're all there. There's a huge noise of this crowd. And we're following Jesus. And we don't know what will come up. Because when we're following him, the unexpected comes. So I wonder what's about to happen. As we walk with him and start to come to the city. A place that's supposed to be very fruitful. Very abundant. A place that's a very happy place. That's what it means. And as we look, we see there's someone coming to us and they're not at all happy. There's a whole crowd of people, lots and lots of people. What's going on? 
They're at the front of it. Four men carrying a young man who's been, he's obviously dead. And there's his mother. I think a lot of people knew that woman. And a lot of people knew that young man. They were well known in that village. That's why the whole village turned out. Because the whole village was impacted by this. And as they come closer, you see this tremendous spirit of grief over them. They're weeping. I wonder why they're weeping. What, is the, what does it mean? She's a widow. How sad. She lost a husband. This isn't the first funeral we've been to. I wonder what it meant to her to lose her only source of income. To lean on this young man, look growing up, expecting that one day he would provide for her. Now he's been struck down by some disease, some sickness. She's prayed and prayed and prayed and God doesn't seem to have heard. Then her son, her hope of a future, dies. Just the shock to her. All of her hope, her dream, taken away in a moment of time. No one to support or sustain her. So she's following her son, her heart is broken. As you look, you can sense and feel the grief, tremendous grief. A woman with no inheritance, no future, no hope, walking her second journey to the burial ground with her son beside her husband. Knowing when she comes home, there's no one to come home to. Feel the grief. Let your imagination, heart open up to let the Holy Spirit show you this person who's lost all hope of the future. The hope of a next generation rising to support all gone. Hope of her son to care for in her old age all gone. As you look, you can't help think of when your dream was taken away, when your hope was dashed. Perhaps right now as you're looking at that picture and see her, you're seeing also it's not just about her. In some ways that's you too. But something valuable in your life seemed to be taken away. Allow yourself to feel her grief the grief of having the hope of your future taken away. And what does Jesus do? He's moved with compassion. Place yourself just where the woman is, seeing the crowd coming towards you. She doesn't even know who he is and what he can do, but he sees her just like he sees you. And his heart is moved with compassion. What does that look like? What would his eyes look like? Let your heart reach out and feel the compassion of Jesus. He stops everything. Steps into this hopeless situation. Puts his hand on the child. 
and restores hope again. Restores life again. What kind of God is this that can come into a place of absolute death and bring life? Come into a place where there's despair and no hope and recreate a new future. And Jesus took the young man's hand and presented him to his mother. Try to look at the look in their eyes of disbelief that this God we serve can do such things. The tears of gratitude. This is the God we serve. God of resurrection life. No situation too difficult. No situation beyond him. And he cares. So, we begin to engage. You find your heart begin to be moved. You start to feel his presence. Now, of course, I've tried to do it out loud, but normally be doing this alone as you just allow your heart to flow into the scripture, into the story. The Holy Spirit starts to take over and it gets a life of its own. And then God begins to show you other things and how this works in your life. It takes you and begins to show you other things pictures begin, it starts to take on a life of its own as you focus your attention and refuse to be distracted. Once you learn to do this in scripture, to hold your attention fixed in scripture for long periods of time, your mind becomes trained to tune into the flows of the spirit. Your mind starts to become trained to resist distracting thoughts and stay locked into listening to God. And then our heart starts to feel the flow of life. This morning I just meditated on that scripture. I just began to weep as I felt God apply it personally to me. I encountered the Jesus who's compassionate. And you see, experiences like that, we carry with them, we carry them inside us. And it enables us to easily connect with him and, and to hear from him and, and to receive from him because we're tuning our inner man to the realities of the Spirit of God and the Word of God. Very, very simple, isn't it? Let's open our eyes. How many people got touched? How many people felt God touched? Yeah, yeah, quite a number of them. Father, we just thank you that you're teaching us, training us to be Holy Ghost people, opening our hearts and lives to you, learning how to train and develop our inner man to reject the negative, to focus on the good things that you have for us and to become people of faith and influence. Lord, let the compassion of Christ deepen in our heart that as we see lost people, we will want to step out of the, the constraints and do something to help them and touch them with your love. Everyone said? Amen. Don't forget to meet with Jess and Graham at the end. You want to ask any questions, they're just down there. Don't forget to give Owen a welcome. He come back from Pakistan. We've seen over 200,000 people come to Christ. And uh, this is a great, 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 uh, great, great thing. Fantastic. God bless you. Have a fantastic day. We'll see you back here tonight.